Coming to you from Mount Washington, I'm Colin Marshall. This is the Los Angeles Review of Books podcast. Today, sitting down with writer Percival Everett. You'll know him from books like God's Country, Erasure. I am not Sidney Poitier. Uh, Glyph, most recently, is a, is a reissue, but that came out in 1999 originally. You'll newly be able to buy it uh, on February 18th. His most recent book is... Percival Everett by Virgil Russell, and there's always more in the works from him. He's got over 20 books out. But tell me, you've mentioned Glyph in the context of it being the book that most taps into your sense of humor. Do you still see it that way? I think that it's 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 the book that, that was the easiest for me to write, just for the, the rhythm of the narration is, mm-hmm. is, is more the rhythm of my own thinking. Um, of the thinking of a hyper-intelligent baby. I, well, uh, of a baby anyway. Um, <laughs> um no, it's, it's the, the, it's the circuitous nature of, of the reasoning, um, as anyone who has ever argued with me can tell you. Um, but the, you know, the, the book is, um, 15 years old. Um, and I have to say that, that I, that I personally never read it. <laughs> so, you, know, you wrote it, but you've never gone back and read it. No, um, my only interest in, in, in the work is, is the process. And I obviously read it while I'm working on it and, and I, I read it when I'm done, but once it's published, I've never really felt a compulsion to go back. When a book comes up for reissue like Glyph, you know, Grey Wolf says they're interested. You say, yeah, do whatever you want. It's, it's not, they don't have to say, well, you want to read this again? You want to make revisions? You just say, go for it. Oh, Lord, no. <laughs> <laughs> I see. How do, you, how, do you know, how do you know when a novel is done? Well, there are, there are a couple of answers to that. One mm. is you just decide it's over. You just decide that the novel is over. Um, mm. The other is... You find yourself working and reworking um, the same things, mm. and 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 then it, then it, you could. It's fairly clear, at least to me, that I'm that it's an exercise in, in procrastination <laughs> of not wanting to let it go. Right. Um, but also, it's it's a it's a question of 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 finding something interestingly wrong. Interestingly wrong. Yeah. What's a sign of that? Well, if I can find a place and I keep, it keeps bothering me, hmm. then that's that's a signal to me that the novel is what I want. Hmm. Um, that I'm going to that that spot, that place, hmm. um, um, is probably where the novel lives, and I'm hmm. best served by leaving it alone and just letting it bother me. Hmm. I want to know a little more. You mentioned anybody who's ever argued with you knows about the circuitous, the, the circuitous reasoning that, uh, that's present in glyph. What, what do you argue about? I don't argue about much. I, I don't get too upset about things. I think that's probably what makes me infuriating is, <laughs> is you know, nobody's shooting at us. So, ah. so why worry? I see. It's, yeah. that's, it's a concept I've heard referred to as not in, in not in regard to you but infuri- infuriating reasonableness it's something that comes up in arguments i see you know especially on the internet somebody will be somebody will will infuriate others by pure reasonability and that's like that fascinates me it does it fascinate you that that that's possible well i mean the first the first thing one has to about that i um think when i'm approaching any problem is right I'm probably wrong, <laughs> ah, I see. and 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 I and I like entertaining um, other paths of reason. Mm. Um, I think I think writing fiction is is 
you know, when I start a book, I think I know something. Right. By the time I get to the end of it, I'm pretty sure that I was wrong about what I thought I knew. And, <laughs> and, um, and so I know less at the end than I did at the beginning. Right. Um, right. You minimize your knowledge as you go, as you write. And after this many books, I, you know, I know less than most people. <laughs> and it's, it's, and it's kind of freeing experience. I, I, I enjoy that. I, mm. I like it. My, my goal is to know nothing. And, and my friends tell me I'm well on my way. Do you see writing at all as having a, having some kind of argument with yourself? Can we call it that? I see writing and reading as having an argument with myself. You know, it's the mm. most subversive thing we can do. Mm. Not the writing, but the reading. Mm. Um, we do it alone. Mm. Um, no one can really look over our shoulder and see what's going in right. and how we're choosing or, or how we have to read something. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way we learn anything. Well, the only way I learn anything um, mm. is to, um, to proceed with what I see as this sort of the, the classic scientific method. I, mm. I choose a hypothesis and, and decide and try to disprove it. Mm. Is that always the beginning to a novel for you? Think something, try to disprove? I don't know if it is consciously, but um, it becomes that. Um, novels, you know, they come in many different ways and... and and I'm always fascinated by, um, for me at least, how often it's the same philosophical questions that generate my interest in, mm. in, in a notion. The, the stories that I end up with are hard for me to find. I'm not a natural storyteller. Mm. Mm -hmm. So the, um, um, the stories are, are, are chosen to um, serve as vehicles for, for some kind of exploration. Tell me about your your personal history with the study of philosophy. How far back does that go? Well, I studied mathematical logic. Well, mm -hmm. That was what I liked studying in philosophy um, as an undergraduate. And then I continued studying uh, uh, Wittgenstein and mm -hmm. J.L. Austin and the ordinary language philosophers. Right. And, and, it was, and, and maybe it was because I was too young when I started um, graduate work, but... But whatever, for whatever reasons, I, I became bored with it and found it too scholastic and, mm. and, and unproductive. Mm. So writing fiction turned out to be a better way for me to address questions that I, I had. This transition philosophy to fiction, do you even see it as a, tra as a transition philosophy to fiction that you made? That's a good question. Um, probably more so in the beginning than I do now. Mm. You know, sometimes I wish I were smarter and that my range of philosophical questions was greater, but... That's everybody wishes that, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, but there are, you know, questions that, that bug me, um, happily bug me, sure. that I sure. like like exploring, and, and they show up everywhere. Mm. And then sometimes I'm... I, I don't even know if I can articulate um, what I'm addressing, but I can see... Other things that work, and, and those things will persist mm -hmm. persist through a, a few works at mm -hmm. a time. What were some of the questions that, that struck you as being more addressable outside of academic philosophy, outside of something that formalized? I don't know if they're more addressable, but easily more easily addressed by me uh, in, in that regard. Basically, um, and it's, it's not the stories that do it, but, but just the writing itself uh, or uh, notions of how meaning gets made mm. um how it is we take these sounds and and the, this 
this whole business of telling stories mm. and have it mean something to someone else. Mm. And, and, and to that end, um, exploring uh, the nature of time, uh, sequence and, and, and point of view and, and um, even person. Mm. I mean, tell me what having the ability to work with different consciousnesses, uh, how does that help you? I mean, in Glyph, the reissued novel, we have, as we say, a baby. In Percival Everett by Virgil Russell, we have an aged consciousness in, in a nursing home. What, what does that afford you, being able to use those ends of the spectrum? Well, uh, personally, what it affords me is, is, is it expands my way of addressing the world. I, mm. I, I have to think more than I might naturally be disposed to, <laughs> to do. Um, for me, that's my art. Uh, I, I, I want to assume other voices mm. and, and, and places, um, both places being both, both physical and, and metaphysical. Yeah. Um, I like the freedom from my own uh, limitations that, mm. that assuming other characters mm. gives me. And the freedom of, from your own identity as well. Of course, of mm. course. And, 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 um, and also uh, the, the two, uh, you mentioned uh, the baby in, in Glyph. Yes. Babies and drunks are, are great characters <laughs> because they can say anything. Yes, <laughs> and and they, give you, they give you a lot of freedom. <laughs> um, other characters less so, but babies, mm. babies and, and, and drunks, yes. Mm. Many novelists talk about their fascinations with, with identity. They all mean something different, though. When you, when you say you want to think about identity or that you do, what do you, what do you mean you, you think about? My thinking about it is nearly, uh, um, truly logical. Oh, I mean, uh, I'm fascinated all the time by the notion that A equals A is not the same thing as A is A. Right. And, and, um, I'm thinking, trying to think of a way for somebody who's never studied philosophy, what, how to get at the interest, the fascination at the core of that. Well, one of my favorite things that someone might say is it's an exact replica mm. of this other thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> and if, if that were the case, why isn't it that, that other thing? Mm. Um, but, but that's, that's the interest to me. The interest to me is, is very seldom cultural mm. or social. It, it, it is logical. Mm. Mm. So the, the feeling of first writing, Fiction. I mean, did you did you think of it as okay? Now I'm writing fiction. Did you think, oh, what 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 a freedom I feel now that I'm writing fiction? Or was it even? Did you only realize you started writing fiction after you had done it? Well, the kind of philosophy I was doing consisted mm. of of scenes. Mm -hmm. I had to write scenes in which people addressed each other in these ordinary discourse mm -hmm. that, in some way, um, addressed the philosophical issue at at hand. You were still doing that while studying philosophy. Well, that was the kind of philosophy I was doing. That's, 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 that's what it was, ordinary language right. philosophy. Um, and when it dawned to me that I was writing fiction. Mm. Oh, so um, you are, you, oh, hey, look at this. Yeah, I'd already <laughs> always been a reader of fiction. Right. Um, and, and so it, it just sort of, strange as it may sound, it was an organic trans, transition for me. Mm. What fiction were you reading then, leading up to that? I'm fascinated to know what really grabbed you, while, even while you were it, ostensibly going on a philosophical path. Well, that was 30 years ago. I have sure. no idea. You, you have one title on mind, though, <laughs> one or two. I mean, books, books that... Well, there, yeah, what have you revisited a lot? I'll say that. Oh, well, 
You know, one of the interesting things is that as a as a kid, mm. as a preteen, as a teenager, I loved um, Kurt Vonnegut, mm. and then I, I think I was maybe I was twenty, and I abandoned Vonnegut, thinking, "Oh, this is kid stuff." <laughs> and and um, then years later, I, I returned to it, sort of nostalgically, mm. and and w- realized, "Why wow, this is still great." <laughs> um, and it wasn't kiss stuff. I, I, novels just have different levels that, that mm. we 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 access in different ways, mm. at different times. Um, and that was that was important for me. Um, likewise, I've been as much influenced by by not my favorite filmmaker, but but uh, Michelangelo Antonioni. Ah. Um, the now the, the movie uh, the film uh, uh, um, uh, I saw it when I was before I ever started writing fiction mm-hmm. and it had a profound impact on me that I didn't understand until I was writing fiction for a while and I realized where it came from and that was uh, the insignificance of plot mm-hmm. uh, plot very seldom is, is crucial to understanding any story mm-hmm. um and and that's a very freeing uh, notion hmm. that that one does not have to plot something to create a story. Now you say Antonioni is not your favorite filmmaker, so he taught you something about the freedom from plot being important, but he didn't do with it what you do with it in your mind. No, it's it's not that. Um, it's um, I have to say as much as I, I've studied Antonioni and I, I've I've given given some talks on him. Uh, the films are a little boring. <laughs> you know? is, that, is that avoidable? Yeah. Oh, okay. um, um, is it des- is it desirable to never be bored while you're reading a book or, while you're watching a movie? No, sometimes boredom is essential. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes boredom boredom is a is a is, 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 is a setup mm-hmm. is, is punctuation, mm-hmm. uh, um, and and obviously it's it's. Um, It's kind of a loose cannon, you know. Mm. You, you just don't set it off any time. Um, right. if, if, if one can mix metaphors like that, um, <laughs> um, but that that lesson was an important one in the same way that um, actually seeing a, a Pollock for the first time mm. was in, important to me. Um, As I'm seeing I, in person, yeah, seeing in person. I, mm. I always seen them in books and I liked them and. Then, right. Um, when I was 13 or so, I got to see a, a real Pollock. Mm-hmm. And you start to understand the depth and you start to understand the places in a work that bother you and why those places are important. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, and th- these are all understandings that came long after mm-hmm. the information had been placed in me. I see. I see. So how, how did you make that? tracing back to how Antonioti influenced you. What, what did you see in your own work while, or while you were working or what you were doing that, that led you back to that memory of Laclise and uh, what, what you learned from his technique and then his, his well, freedom? It was pretty obvious in, in Laclise. Um, for me, I, I ended up writing a, a, a section of, I think it was my novel, Erasure. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't my erasure, but it is a section. Some no, I, mm-hmm. I am not sure. They have many novels. It could be erasure. They all run together. Um, 
about frames. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that I've returned to many times. I know I t- even talk about it in Glyph in, in some way. Um, but in, in that film, it opens with a hand reaching through an empty frame mm-hmm. and, and manipulating the, the cigarette butts in an ashtray. Mm-hmm. And from there, the, the movie is a sequence of frames. First, you're, you have the framed mm-hmm. film that you're watching. Yeah. But then the window opens and the outdoors is framed. Um, mm. um, and, it, and it continues throughout. And you wonder, how it, will it come again? Mm. Um, and the story itself frames itself mm. and, and, and sort of wonderfully never goes anywhere. Mm. Except, of course, there's Monica Vitti that, that, that makes one watch it. <laughs> yeah. you, you avoid... Boring the reader in your books. I mean, to my mind, you know, I, I can't get bored reading your books, especially these two I have in front of me, uh, Percival Everett by Virgil Russell and Glyph, because the books put, put me anyway in, in another consciousness. So it's, it, it makes, it makes boredom almost an impossibility because I just feel like I'm in another consciousness for a while. Does that make any sense at all? Do, do you know what oh, I mean? It's very flattering. Thank you. I, um, but it never follows the contours of a consciousness. I, does that is that a little too grand, or can we go with that? Sure, I'll go with that. <laughs> um, though I, I can't say that I have a lot of control of it. Uh, and there are unusual consciousnesses as well. I mean, there's you, you mentioned Kurt Vonnegut, and you, you think maybe his books seem a little bit far out or wacky mm-hmm. at a certain age. You put them down, then you realize maybe on one level they are wacky. On one level, a hyperintelligent baby is wacky. On one level, sort of the. Uh, the, the famous figures you bring into uh, Virgil Russell are, 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 it's wacky to have them there, but you're not wacky on every level. Certainly not. I mean, as a rule or? Um, I don't think about it a lot. I, I don't know. Um, In any case, Vonnegut is not. You discovered that. He's not always not wacky on every level. No, and you know, I like some novels better than others, um, of course, and that's, that's the way it always is. Um, hmm. um, and I like, I, I like the early ones and the late ones. Ah, I see. And the middles, what happened there? Maybe they're too wacky. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. They're fun, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, th- I think um, there's a, a wisdom achieved in the later books mm-hmm. and, 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 um, and a more uh, uh, pronounced or overt search for that kind of wisdom in the in the very early ones player piano mm. and um god bless you mr rosewater mm. or mrs rosewater i can't remember i don't know um but those 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 novels and, and later bluebeard and hocus pocus i just mm. i find the voice um uh, more aesthetically pleasing uh, um, do you do you begin with a voice in your novels well i can't go anywhere until i have it mm. but i'm not sure that's where i always begin mm. um I don't always know I'm writing, uh, writing a novel and, until I find myself studying something that I ah, yes. never studied. And I'm very, very often it has nothing to do with the novel itself. It's, mm. it's just a, Something gets you onto the track of studying a subject you've never studied before, and then you realize, well, now I have something. Yeah, and for my novel, Wounded, I started going into caves. All of a sudden, I was every chance I got, I was crawling around in a cave. Before you had the novel in mind, you saw, I'm going into caves a lot. Yeah, well, there's a friend who pointed out to me, you're working on something. I said, why would you go into all these caves? And, and, right. and I said, yeah, I, I am. And then the novel came to me. Hmm. Um, 
And there is, in fact, a cave in the novel, but nothing to do. I, hmm. um, and and that's different from my experience with my with another novel called Watershed, hmm. where I. Though I didn't know I was really working on a novel, I started studying hydrology. Ah. And um, you, you one day found yourself studying hydrology, or you thought, I, you know, I have a question. I have something. There's a curiosity. What what is what is going on here with this element of hydrology? Well, or what? I, I I knew I wanted an, a. a a character who was a hydrologist, though I didn't have a story. Ah. And I don't know why I wanted him to be a hydrologist. Um, <laughs> you know, didn't meet a fascinating hydrologist, or, I mean, hydrology I entered into your life at some point? Hydrologist. <laughs> um, I, um, I read some 25 or 6 books on geomorphology and, and hydrology and, mm. and was fascinated by it, but then I, I went out and did um, um, field work with a, with a hydrologist. Oh. Um, Surely that was a fascinating hydrologist. Um, well, <laughs> she was a nice person, and and and, but fascinating, no. But the work was, uh, um, in a way. But it, it was it was because I, I I finally figured out what I wanted. I was trying mm. to. I wanted a character who knew a place better than anyone else. Uh. While I was studying the hydrology, I realized that. I wasn't going to know any place better than anyone else, and so my character couldn't. Right. So I created a fictional topography, ah, a place that you could know, that I could know, and no one else knew anything about it. So I had to know more, <laughs> and, and therefore he had to know more. Yes. Um, and I actually wrote hydrologic hydrologic reports mm. about this watershed. Um, a in, couple in the format of the reports, adhering adhering to the oh, way. Yes, yes, yes. And in fact, I think one or two show up in the novel itself. Um, it was only later that, that a, um, a very good friend suggested I should have used the topographical um, maps that I had drawn too, but I, ah. I forgot to do it. <laughs> Your books do include images on occasion, so it wouldn't be completely out no, of character. No, it wouldn't be out of, out of character at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think there's some images in, in that character, in that novel. Um, when do you want to include images? When does it strike you as suitable to include an image? Is it, is, I can't imagine there's a formula to it, but it just, you come to a point when only an image will do? You know, I don't know. In mm -hmm. fact, most of the time I just consider all this stuff magic. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you start Sometimes with, you have to, or else you can't do it. I mean, I imagine you're getting, you're, you're amassing, for example, knowledge in hydrology. If you think consciously for a moment about what's my novel going to be, you're not going to f figure out that novel. You have to let that happen on a subconscious level while you're just amassing more knowledge. Well, that's why I do so much research is, mm. is I don't want it to read like I've studied hydrology. I want it to read like it's a hydrologist. Right, right, right. Um, and The hydrological instinct has built up. <laughs> yes. And, you know, the, the ironic and very sad part of this is that after all that study, I know nothing about hydrology now. <laughs> because and you've all, forgotten? Or all, just yeah, because? all that information. And I'm sure that I, I'm, I might be able to have a conversation with a right. hydrologist, but I know nothing <laughs> about it at all. It's, it's a subject that you've, you've come on to that I, I wanted to ask you about anyway, which is the feeling of acquiring knowledge. I mean, there's it's something I think about a lot, how, you know, you, you start down the road of a subject, you read one book, you read two books, you read three books, and as you go, the new facts you learn, the new knowledge has more hooks from the, the old knowledge you've already learned, more to hook onto. Tell me a little bit about, is that a feeling you've thought about, how the more knowledge you, you gain on a subject, the, the more you feel, you sort of, you feel all of the, uh, Entry points the new knowledge can have in multiplying. Does that make sense to you? It makes sense. Um, 
I'm not trying to become an expert, and 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 and, and I, and for one good reason is I'm not smart enough to become an expert, um, um, and I don't have time to become an expert. Uh, what I do want is is access to a world that allows me to inhabit it. Um, you know, there, there's a belief that you can just say something with authority, and 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 readers will believe it's true, and I don't, I don't. I don't think that. Uh, um, um, I think that kind of uh, uh, comfort and authority with, with, with information or with situation comes from being comfortable uh, with, 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 with those Actual things. familiarity, not simply a posture. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Mm. Um, that said, uh, at some point you have to... to um, Assume a kind of authority mm. of the things that you that one does know. Mm. Um, like I, I use an example of my students. I I, I tell them I'm trying to come up with something that a, a, a Beretta ninety two mm. S nine millimeter pistol, a, uh, a military issue, uh, weighs fifteen point three ounces, um, empty, mm. um, and has a right hand twist, fifteen. Shows in the magazine one in the pipe. Now I made all of those numbers up, mm. but when I tell them, they believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because I'm telling them. Right. I think my belief is if when someone reads it, it's got to be stronger than that. Oh, I see. It's there on the page. There. You're committed to it because it's now an object independent of the stuff you're saying. Exactly. It, do, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, you know, we start with blank paper. Mm. And somehow it gets filled with words, right. and I will never get used to that. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. still fantastical in some sense it's, that it happens. It's, it's, it's amazing I, mm. that, that anyone makes a story mm. that didn't exist before mm. is amazing to me, mm. um, which is kind of why I don't think there are any bad stories. There might be stories I don't want to read, ah. and there might be stories that are better written, written than some. Right. And in the middle of a semester, when I'm really tired of reading stories, I can say, oh, this is a terrible story. But if anybody can, can do that for, for 15 or 20 pages, I, I think it's kind of, kind of remarkable. Hmm. How much in writing, how much of your task do you think it is to, I mean, you, you, you've mentioned two things, the, the, the making of making something believable, like a hyper-intelligent baby with an IQ of 475, hmm. making that real, but also making mundane things uh, unbelievable. Again, I believe you've spoken about that in other interviews. Do you consider those simultaneous tasks to be addressed, make something fantastical seem concrete, make something concrete seem, if not fantastical, then somehow strange again? Well, they, well, they go hand in hand, don't mm. they? Um, mm. um, fast, fantastical things happen to us all the time. You have a butterfly lands on your sleeve. Right. Yeah, it depends on how you tell somebody about it, <laughs> um, and 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 it can change in in, in, in mid telling. Hey, 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 Bill, a butterfly just landed on my sleeve, and you stop, you pause, and you say, again, a butterfly just landed on my sleeve, and and it changes everything. Yes, yes, yes. There's, I mean, do you consider that framing or storytelling or? As what, what, uh, I that being in the world, being in the world. Yeah. That's all that is. Mm. Is writing fiction almost all the time essential to your being in the world? Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> Do you feel like it is sometimes? 
I do it because I, and I, and I can't seem to stop doing it. Mm. Um, so I must enjoy it no matter, even though I often complain about doing it. Mm. Um, art, any kind of art is, is my way of, of, of existing mm. in the world. And, mm. you know, I, I don't know what would happen if I didn't express the things I was thinking about and feeling. Mm. Um, I suppose I find other ways. I, we do so many different things, all of us. Mm. Um, when I, you know, I trained horses for a long time and, and even that dealing with, with, with the big animals is means it gives me some understanding of my, my place. You do have, you, you have a, quite a bit of experience with animals and dealing with animal consciousnesses is something that, I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with, but you've, you've said elsewhere that the animals you've worked with aren't all quite smart whether they're dogs or goats or horses, uh, the smartness of animals is something you've remarked upon quite often. And how does that come through to you? Well, you know, uh, you know I'm the last one to say that a horse is smart. You know, a horse <laughs> is a thousand pounds of dumb muscle. Um, mules and dogs are smart and horses are interesting, but all animals are smart in one way. I've never had an animal lie or, to me or betray me. Ah. Um, and so at least they're honest. They're honest, yes. and, and 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 there's a genius to that, mm. um, and lessons to be learned, um, and 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 everything I know about dealing with people mm. comes from my understanding of animals, and my or at least my attempting to understand animals, mm. and I can say that my understanding of the way novels work comes the same way too. Through animals, through what what have animals taught you that's that's so core to to this. Patience, um, uh, understanding that I know less than anyone in the room. Yes, this is important for you too. Yeah, to, not just to know, to actually know less is one thing, but to start from that to say, okay, I know nothing. Now I go forward. Yeah, um, and and they're all different. You know, you can, even though you train every horse the same, they're all different. Mm -hmm. Even though you do some things the same when you're starting a novel and I'm about to give away my age <laughs> by saying, i.e. putting paper into the typewriter. Sure. Uh -huh. Um, they're, they're different. Mm. Um, mm. and, and you have to, um, you have to be accommodating. Mm. You, have, you have to change with the creature that's with you. Animals don't lie. They're not dishonest. Do, do at some level, can you see human beings as layers of dishonesty upon the same sort of core motivations as an animal you've worked with? I mean, are we, do we is what separates us? We're smart enough. We're not even, let's not say smart, but we have the ability to lie to ourselves, to other people. Well, the interesting thing about people, and if you view it as, as a part of, if you view people like animals, the lying becomes just a behavior that, mm. that is, um, um, more or less pronounced in different, mm. different people. Um, and the lines, uh, I, you know, I, I'm the last one to talk about human beings with any, any authority. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, but, but the lying is, lying uh, is a function of the complexity of mm. people, the, the, the of, of ambivalences and, 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 um, and conflicts, um, um, greed. Mm. I mean, 
dogs can be gluttons, <laughs> but they're not greedy. Ah, I see. <laughs> what separates greed from gluttony? If I just want a lot of something or if I am that greedy, what, what, what is the difference? Uh, greedy, I, I'm, 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 I'm out on a limb here. <laughs> sure, well, that's, uh, that's, that's yeah. what this is all about, greedy, going out on limbs. I would, I would say you're greedy if you want more than you can take in. Ah, I see. So it's beyond your even, you're beyond your abilities. That's how much you want. A gluttonous dog will eat it until that dog is full. <laughs> Naturally, he stops. A greedy human being will do what? Will eat, then hoard. Hmm. And hoard, and hoard. And probably eat until more than, than, than it needs. Hmm. Is a greedy human being, by definition, a more fearful human being? Probably. Mm. I, I, I don't know. Mm. Again, these are questions I haven't entertained. In the context of writing, though, is a fearful character more interesting to you? Not necessarily. Mm. It depends on the fear. Some fear is terribly boring. Mm. Um, but again, to paraphrase Mark Twain, nothing makes somebody uh, more interesting then they're about to be drowned. Uh, <laughs> you get in that situation. These things come out. It's things. Things come into starker relief. Do they not? Yeah, of course they do. Um, mm. And and of course that drowning can be certainly metaphoric. Mm. But you want your characters in deep water, mm. and you need to get them there. Do, do you say now? Do you say your books lack plot entirely, or you plot them minimally? Some have plots, some don't. Hmm. Um, some, some have several that come together, and, and it seems... I mean, do you, with enough different plots, does it, does it start to feel non, non-plotted non again? Uh, it can. Hmm. Um, and that would be nice if that did happen. Hmm. Um, is that what life is? There's so many plots, it feels like there's none? Until that final one. Yes. <laughs> and, um, it's, it's, it's just like, you know, we wear all these different masks. Hmm. We're... Um, different person at, in the classroom than I am hmm. picking up my, my sons from school uh, than I am um, at the coffee shop. Yeah, hmm. All these things. We're, we're, we're so many different people with so many different stories going on. I think um, if there are too many going on, then, then, then I guess a couple of things can happen. One is you lose a handle on the important ones. Hmm. Um, but if there are not enough going on, then then your your few plots become um, you become so egocentric with your your mm. few plots that that you lose your place in the world. Mm. You mentioned who you are in the classroom. Of course, you you are a professor at the University of Southern California. What I don't even want to just say stories. What does the writing that your students produce? You're reading that. What what does it? What does that tell you about? What you do? I mean, can you do you get a con? Do you get some sort of fruitful contrast from the, your students' writing, or what? What uh, does does anything reflect back on the way you write your methods? Seeing so many others in the classroom doing it. One thing I, I, I appreciate what I get to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a, a vibrant intellectual um, world that that feeds my work. Right. I'm happy. To be there with 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 young people, and I got paid to hang out with smart young people. Yes, that's it's not bad. Um, and though mu- much of the work is not will not be seen, mm. um, 
that doesn't mean there's not talent there. Mm. And many different kinds of talent. And this is what I hope I can impart to, to, to say my undergraduate students, right. whom I find really exciting to teach. Not all of them are going to be writers. Very few of them are going to be writers. Mm. That doesn't mean they shouldn't be writing. Mm. Um, I learn a lot from them, and sometimes the ones who aren't going to be writers will do things that I didn't think they could do, and I find instructive. They're smart, young people um, with ideas about the world that are new to me, being fairly old at this point. Is it purely a function of their young age that gives them these fresh ideas, or is it where they've come from, or something in their experience? Well... They come from different places, and so they have, they have a different range of ideas. But their youth is certainly an, important to their 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 worldview and how they approach art. They are also um, of the same generation, mm. and having taught for thirty years, I, I can see changes every year. Mm. It's it's a if, if I ever you know, I I. Long, I was never one of the cool guys. I've long since you know, long given up trying to be cool. I, I tried to be cool in a classroom once and mentioned Bruce Springfield. Oh, sure. And, and, and I sort of gave Good myself like, <laughs> so, so that, that doesn't work for me. But happily, I, I think they honestly detect my, my, um, joy mm. in, in, in discovering them and their work. Mm. I, I do feel open to what it is they have to tell me and, 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 and worlds that they open up to me. Mm. Um, I can tell them about my experiences making art, mm. but, but my, my worldview and, and, and how I think about things um, really shouldn't affect uh, how they think. Uh, I just want to affect how they tell me what they think. Ah, I see. It's about conveying their perspective, not about changing the perspective itself. Yeah, and I don't even want them to write like I do. Because um, mm. I, I wouldn't want anyone. I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't w wish that on anyone. Um, what is what is writing like you do? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. It, it, it changes book to book. Yes. Um, that may be part of the very definition, is how much it does change from book to book. I mean, do you see... Again, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. You, you've, never, you've never actually... You say you don't read old, the older books. I can't imagine you've gone back to the beginning of your career and seen, hmm, this looks, this looks different. But your students must bring up the older books, right? They, if, if they've read you, they, they must bring up a book that you haven't thought about in a long time, haven't wanted to think about in a while, but they must have some perspective on it. Yeah, occasionally in my office, a, a student will mention a book, and, and, but it's, it's sort of the same as in interviews. People ask me about works, and I have to honestly look at them blankly and say, I don't remember, <laughs> um, say more. And then I, things will come back to me. Right. Um, but you know, I, the one thing I, I, I want them to take away is they can, they cannot control anything that they write. Ah. Um, I finish a book. I don't remember it. It doesn't matter what I thought of the book. Mm. It's, it's existing completely new to the person who's reading it. Right. All the meaning resides in that relationship between mm -hmm. the book and that person. Mm -hmm. I have nothing to do with it. What I might have meant means nothing. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's a fruitless conversation. Right. Um, they can't control the reception of their work in any sense. You have to, that's, that's the day one thing to, to introduce to them? They can't control the meaning. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that's the exciting part. If, if, mm-hmm. if, if it were any, any other way, I doubt I would still be doing this. Do you tell them that they can control anything? I mean, have you learned there is a control? What's controllable? What's controllable in a novel? What's controllable is what they put on the page, mm. not the meaning that it makes. Right. Um, and they can even delude themselves into thinking that they are telling a particular story. In fact, in some way, that's, that kind of delusion is necessary, mm. which means that by definition, all writers are insane. <laughs> um, but given that, um, you, you proceed as if you're telling a story that you can control to let it go mm. and admit that you that control is not there unless you're going to stand at every bookstore mm. in turn and tell people what it means as they walk out with right which some writers may be willing to do yeah. if offered the chance but tell me what what are the subjects that you are that you're pursuing now what may be feeding the future fictions what what fascinations may be may be driving what you're writing next I'm, I think I'm still working through notions of, of um, authorship. Hmm. Um, Which I mean, are explored a bit, in, in yeah. certainly more than a bit, in Percival Everett yeah, Ever- by Virgil Russell. Yeah, I'm done with that, yeah. What were the what what were then what were you learning about before during the writing of this still latest? Now now it's been out a couple of years, but still the latest book. I don't know. Hmm. Um, yeah, story. I, what, what I, one of the things I wanted to underscore is that story is so magical and mm. beyond our our um, power to control mm. that you don't even have to know who your narrator is mm. for story to be conveyed. Mm. To start or to write a whole story, you don't have to. Well, um, I, I think <laughs> even in the even in this novel, it reverses yes. itself as pin the tail on the narrator. Yes, you never do. You never do know. Who's, who's writing, who's talking, if they're writing or speaking in some, in some cases. And was that something you wanted or something you found happened? We, you know, we don't know if an older man or a younger man is, is writing this book. We don't know. We, act, we actually don't know who's writing to who at a certain point. Well, that's what I wanted. Yes. Um, I also wanted to explore the, the idea that, that there are stories in life that don't go anywhere. Mm. Um, and that sometimes... It, I, someone talked... Talked with, I was talking to someone many years ago about baseball being a metaphor for life. And I said, really? I said, why more so than any other sport? And he said, because you mentioned the diamond, how it opens up infinitely, which I found poetic, but mm. false. Um, and, and, um, and then he said, and the, and the game is never over until mm. the final out. And it realized, you know, I said, well, that's not like life. I said, sometimes the game is over. <laughs> you, you run out of time and, and there's not much you can do about that. Um, so I also wanted to explore the fact that, that stories often stop and we choose not to take them up again. People writing about your books will call them, they'll describe them as if anything goes in them, anything is possible in a Percival Everett book. Uh, they they can take any direction. You never know what's coming. And I don't know if that's literally true because if if you were reading a book where literally anything could happen, you're not you don't have much of a story there. You can't. It's hard to get a handle on a, a book where anything could be on the page. Tell me what is not what is not possible in a novel, or what do you what do you decide is not possible in a novel? What 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 can't you do in in a novel? Because literally, you could write anything, but. You're not a writer if you just write anything at all. Do you know what I mean? 
Well, if I could do that, I would. Um, you know, I mean, sort of my dream is to write a novel that even I don't understand. Um, but yet have it be a novel. Well, that's the ultimate challenge, I suppose. Yeah. But if short of that, it's tennis without a net. There's no reason to play if you if you have no rules in place. Well, the interesting thing about that is we just, if we decided to play tennis without a net, you'd be amazed at how quickly we start to come up with rules. Ah, they, they come up organically. They do. Hmm. Um, this is what we do. We play games. Hmm. Um, what we mean by games can change. Hmm. Um, you, know, you come back to um, Wittgenstein's uh, notion of, of, of the family resemblances. Hmm. Um, how is a child's pretending game a game like chess is a game? Hmm. One may have no rules at all. One is loaded with rules, yet we both understand them as we understand both of them as games. Mm. Why? Mm. When we come to a novel, Finnegan's Wake doesn't look anything like Old Man in the Sea. Aside from pages with words on them, mm. we, we'd be hard pressed to recognize them as the same thing, but yet we have no problem doing it. Mm. Yeah, nobody, nobody really says Finnegan's Wake is not a novel, or that's a fringe. Yes, exactly. Um, mm. Or to be more um, grassroots about it, how is it that a child can see a Great Dane and then a Chihuahua and know that they're both dogs? Hmm. You you get onto the infinitely divisible questions that either fascinate or infuriate in philosophy, don't you? I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know what philosophers want to do anymore. I never knew what they wanted to do. Well, of course, I don't know what I want to do. So that's fair enough. <laughs> but then, do you so do you start writing novels with with without the proverbial net, with no rules in place, and then, like the netless tennis, the rules develop? Is that a, is that a decent model for at least some of the books you've written? Uh, well, I write in a tradition. I understand um, that, and I appreciate it, and I kind of embrace it. But if I'm going to break rules, um, and I see them all as rather um, imagined rules, mm. then I then I then I imagine them first, and then I break them. Mm. But I but I find myself I need to do it for a reason, mm. and and the reason is often how can I manipulate. Um, the making of, of the meaning of this text. Mm. Can I can I expand the meaning, or can I limit mm. how how this text is going to to mm. work? You can't control the meanings, but you can control the range of meanings, perhaps, or try to affect it. You can try. I mean, try. I, I have no um, you know no faith in my power to <laughs> control anything in this world, but but it's fun to try again. It's that sort of definition of, of insanity that writers have to inhabit. <laughs> Someone listening to this interview, they, they may not have read any of your books yet. They may, they may come up to, they may pull up the list of your books at the library, see over 20 of them. What do you, what do you, what do you tell somebody who wonders, should I start at the beginning with Percival Everett's book? Should I start with the most recent, go back? How, how to read these, somebody who, somebody who certainly wants to plunge in, but doesn't quite know how. Hmm. Well, I think they should read the ones with um, one-word titles first. <laughs> I, I have no any, any way is good. Any way is good. Um, mm. 
And I think I think probably my career is, is is characterized by all the novels being very different. Right. So I, I don't know if reading one is going to um, uh, be an introduction to another. Mm. Um, some are more alike than others. Um, you could read, but you could read two in a row that are so different that you would either come away just convinced that I have multiple personality disorder, <laughs> or, or, or or thrilled or, or angry. Um, mm. and, I, and I recognize my, my agent told me long ago, you know, if you'd write the same book a few times, it would be better for your career. Right, <laughs> so, but you're not going to do that. Um, yeah, how boring is that? I mean, for me, for me. Right. And then, right. Have you had moments where you thought you get halfway through a halfway through a book you're writing and you think, you know, this is too much like something I've done before. I, I got to make this into something else. I never think. I never think about the other books if I'm in the middle of something. Right. They're, they're all distinct mm. projects. However, I see them all as a part of a whole. Mm. They're all in. in conversation with each other mm. um but completely separate and yet never tempting for you to go back to look at the old ones if they're all in conversation no no uh, well i much uh, maybe 12 years 12 13 years after my first novel i did go read it mm. um because i was curious and, and i and i read it and i thought well i was kind of happy with some things and other things i thought after 12 years, I'm, I must be a better writer, or at least I hope I am. I would do a lot of things differently. Mm. I could make this a better crafted novel. Right. And, and then um, one of my rare moments of, 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 of um, intelligence, I, <laughs> it, it hit me that, well, yeah, I could make it a better crafted novel, mm. but I, I wouldn't be able to make it a better work of art. And that, that's helped me um, all along. You know, a, a work of art is... Is a is a statement of a moment, mm. and it's one that one can't revisit. I've been speaking here in Mount Washington with Percival Everett, professor at the University of Southern California, as well as authors of books like most recently reissued was Glyph, originally from 1999, but most recently published was uh, Percival Everett by Virgil Russell, also Erasure, also assumption also there's so many i'm not sydney party there's over 20 books and if you haven't read any of them i hope you plunge in very soon as we've discussed any method you do any method you go by that's the method to go by percival thanks so much thank you this has been the los angeles review of books podcast i've been colin marshall you can keep up with me at colinmarshall.org and the larb at lareviewofbooks.org thanks